We're returning to our weekly study of the book of Hebrews. Tommy Overton took us back into that text last week. We never really left it, to be honest with you, as we went into Advent, because it was from that book of Hebrews we focused on the promise of rest and entering into his rest, which was an amazing reality. This time of season, a new year upon us, it's easy to begin to feel the weight of restlessness as you try to change things, other people around you try to change you, as you suddenly are rushing into school, which for most will begin again tomorrow. There is a lot that's happening. And we have the means of grace given to us by God, his word, his holy word. And we read it and we preach it, not only from this pulpit, but you preaching it to yourselves every day. The book of Hebrews, again, is very powerful because it was written to a small church, a house church, a church where the members were undergoing persecution and the promise of more persecution. The kind of fear, which is understandable, they were experiencing, and many were beginning to drift away, wondering if faith in Christ really was the right answer, wondering if they really should hold true to the things that they've been taught, wondering if they should continue in confidence in who they are in Christ. To that end, we're reading one of the great sections of the Bible now that's telling us about who Jesus is as our high priest. One of my favorite books is the book of Hebrews, and one of my favorite texts is the one that we are about to hear that I will preach from. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm gonna begin reading at the end of Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, and then read through verse 10 of chapter five. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the last days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, as we open your word now, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will open our hearts and minds. 
that we will be transformed even today by what we hear. Only you can do this, God. Only you, only you can focus us. Only you can give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to think and hearts to feel as we ought because of what we're hearing. Overwhelm this place with your glory now, Lord. Overwhelm each of us. Make us different because of what we hear this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite books from 2019 was Rankin Wilburn's Union with Christ. In that book, he talks about the gap that exists in our lives. I've said this before in the latter part of last fall. The gaps that exist between who we are and who we, told, who we are told we are. The gaps that exist between who we are and who we want to be. There's a lot of attention given right now to our lives this time of year because of the gaps that we see. In every aspect of my life, I see gaps. Every aspect. My life, physically. The scale or the mirror, take your choice, or my wife, can tell me what gaps exist in terms of my physical condition. It might not always be visible, but it might be not taking care of myself on the inside, not seeing a doctor as quickly or as often as I should. There's gaps that exist relationally. In every relationship I have, there's gaps that exist. There's places where I have fallen short and I've not loved as Christ has called me to love. The most important relationships of all, mine with him, my wife, my children, you, the church. There's gaps in my role as a pastor, in my work, failures I make, things I do that I shouldn't do, things that I don't do that I should do. There's gaps everywhere. And if you're honest, you know that it's true of you too in every area of your life. And if you don't think there's any gaps, I just told you one. <laughs> the gaps that exist between who we are and who we were created to be, between who we are and who we want to be, are made present to us all the time. And it's not just individual, it's also corporate. It's also universal. As Paul prayed for our world, we see the gaps between peace and war. We see the gaps between safety and violence. We see the gaps between living with profound security and then recognizing how insecure the things are that we're tempted to put our security in. There are many tools that people will use to try to close those gaps. So many people right now are starting new memberships at gyms. Many people right now have selected a Bible reading plan, and I'm glad you're doing those things. Many people right now are saying, I'm not gonna do that anymore. Some will stop smoking, some will stop drinking, some will start, stop eating certain things, all because they see something that exists in their life that is a gap, a gap between who they are and who they wanna be, who they are and who they should be. And so mankind puts forward efforts to close the gaps. There's clubs you can join, there's apps you can download, there's books you can read. 
If you have enough resource, you can even hire a coach. Coaches that can specifically help you in one area of your life. If you need to lose 10 to 70 pounds, there's coaches to help you there. If you need to get into physical shape, you can hire a trainer. If you want help in your business, you can hire an executive coach. If you want someone to help you manage your house, you can hire a coach. I'm a fan of coaches. I know what it's like to have one and what it's like not to have one. I know the benefit of having somebody that is in my face, helping me set goals and holding me accountable. There's a great benefit to that. So this sermon is not intended to in any way downplay coaches or mentors or accountability partners. But what I want to make very clear today is when it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to our walk with Jesus, we do not need a coach, and Jesus was not a coach. Jesus was not someone who is simply there to say, these are the goals, and I'm gonna speak into your life every day so you will accomplish them. You don't need a coach spiritually, and you never will. You need a priest. You need someone who is not going to tell you how to close the gap, but somebody who is going to close the gap or has closed the gap. You don't need somebody to give you pithy, motivational speeches to help you be more diligent. You need someone who is going to enter into you and close the gap. Because here's the truth. You could set goals this year for your life spiritually, worthy goals. What would some of them be? I'm going to read the Bible each day. And many people have started the one-year Bible. Many people have started the one-year Bible again. Many people have started it again for the numerous time because they hit a wall in February or March in the middle of Numbers or Leviticus. It's okay. These goals aren't bad things. But if you had the best year of your life spiritually, however you might define it, I read the Bible every day, I prayed more fervently. I went to a midweek Bible study. I was in a small group Bible study. I went on a mission trip. Whenever I was in town, I always came to church. And even when I was out of town, I found a church to go to. You could do so many things that in December, just a little, over, a little less than a year from now, you could say, look what I've done. And what I would say to you is, and there's still a gap. Because the standard is not you and what you can do. The standard is God's holiness. And even in your ability, because you're diligent, determined, disciplined to accomplish great things, you would still need someone to close the gap. I'm not saying those efforts aren't worthy. What I'm saying is they won't in and of themselves make you right with Christ. You need a priest. I need a priest. I need someone who's not going to just tell me what to do, but someone who closes the gap because I could never do it perfectly. Here's the good news. We have that priest. We have the priest who is called the great high priest. This great high priest doesn't get in your face. He gets in you. He lives in you. 
He doesn't just bark accountability and motivation. He reminds you that he's alive in you, that he has filled the gap. Not that he's going to, but that he has. That he right now, 2020, if you're in him, he's alive in you. And understanding that, understanding the reality of who we are in Christ, then gives all the necessary motivation to seek those endeavors which grow us in that relationship with Christ. But to be honest, what I'm talking about now is the greatest gap of all. It's missing that union with Christ. It's missing the reality of who I already am am because of what his word says. Who I already am because he lives in me. And so the word tells us, because of who he is, as our high priest, we're to approach his throne of grace, his throne of mercy. And so this morning, what what I want to do for a few minutes is I want to unpack this idea of the great high priest, this priestly theme that's going to continue to run through Hebrews. I won't cover everything in the passage that's read today. In fact, we'll talk more about Melchizedek as, as, as the weeks go on and what that means. But today we're going to focus on the first part of this section that I read, beginning in 4.14. What Jesus is having revealed to us is that he is our sympathetic high priest. And if you have to take away one phrase moving forward, it's this, that because he is our sympathetic high priest, we can approach God boldly with confidence to receive mercy and grace in time of need. That proposition literally is taken right out of the text. It's so easy to see. So the first part of this sermon, I wanna focus on who he is as our high priest And the second part, how we are to approach him. So first, Jesus as our high priest. The text tells us, as does all of scripture, that there were, among other things, primarily two realities to the calling of a priest. The first was that a priest had to be chosen and appointed. There's not a sense of I'll nominate myself, There is a sense where God's word from beginning to end tells us that the high priests were chosen and appointed. Look with me at chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So if you go back into the Old Testament and read forward, you're going to see time and time again that these priests, like Aaron, were appointed, chosen by God. The second thing that they had in common was that they had sympathy for the people, compassion. Look with me at verse five, or verse two, I'm sorry. He can deal gently with the ignorant. Speaking of the human priest now, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Well, as a pastor, 
preaching to a body of believers. We are the priesthood of all believers. I can easily say what I said at the beginning of this service. In every area of my life, I see gaps because I'm human. I have flesh. I still live in the reality of this fallen world. I'm just like you. And so were the priests. These priests were appointed, chosen men called by God to, preserve, to serve a task, and they had sympathy and compassion for the people because of their own struggle. But what about Christ? Look with me now in chapter 5, verse 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So just like the priesthood from the beginning, those who were appointed and called, Jesus also was appointed, also called, called to come to this earth to perform the role of high priest, the great high priest. He also had sympathy. In fact, the sympathy that Christ has is beyond that which any human priest could ever have. Look with me back to chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is what's amazing about Christianity. There is no trial or temptation, no suffering in those trials or those temptations that our Savior Jesus doesn't understand and sympathize with. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary on Hebrews, says Jesus has unequal capacity for sympathizing with us in our fears, trials, and temptation. Hear that? Jesus, our great high priest, has unequal capacity for sympathizing with us. He understands. He understands the gaps that exist in your life. He understands the gaps that exist between what you're thinking and feeling right now and what you were thinking and feeling and maybe looking at yesterday. He understands with unequaled capacity for sympathizing your anxiety and your fear, your own and that of others you love. He understands with tremendous compassion Every gap in your life, not just some. Yet Jesus never once sinned. Jesus never once surrendered to those temptations. He was constantly bombarded by the enemy who sought to bring him down. But Jesus never sinned. But because he was fully human, battling those temptations, abiding in his Father, and never once sinning, 
He was always living on that verge of that, that constant temptation. So if you want to explain Christianity to someone, this is one of the most profound realities of our faith, that Jesus sympathizes with you, not as a slogan, not as a warm, fuzzy thought, but as a reality that he endured without sinning ever what you experience and I experience all the time. That's why this author is bringing to this people the truth about their great high priest. He was chosen and he was appointed and he was sympathetic. The great news about Jesus among other things though is that he never sinned. He never fell short. That leads to the next point, the actions of the high priest. The actions of the high priest, those who were sympathetic, those who were anointed and called, was to essentially offer the connection between God and the people. The text tells us that they were to move forward by offering these sacrifices in order to care for the people to essentially stand between God and man. And once a year, the, the priest that was elected would then move into the Holy of Holies after going through many purification rituals and there would offer the sacrifice. But here the, the preacher of Hebrews says of our great high priest, he didn't just enter into that holy place, he entered into the heavens. He went through the heavens and he didn't offer the same type of sacrifice. He didn't offer the blood of an animal. He offered himself. He, Jesus, the son of the living God, God himself, offered himself as a sacrifice because only he was the perfect, spotless, blemish-free lamb. There Jesus performed the great action that we all needed in order to be rescued, that we all needed in order to be saved, that we all needed in order to be redeemed. He himself died as that perfect sacrifice that all who trust in him might live. Jesus was called, appointed. He had tremendous sympathy and still does, perfect sympathy. And he was the perfect sacrifice once for all. So what does this mean? For us, as it speaks to approaching the throne, it's simply this. Because we have a sympathetic high priest, Jesus, we can approach his throne boldly and with confidence in time of need to receive mercy and grace. So let's for a moment look at approaching the throne. Go with me back to chapter four. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, nothing reveals our gaps as much as real time of need. Whether it's a need in your own life or in one of the people you love or just in the world around us, we're a needy people because we live in a very dangerous evil and broken world. 
They were experiencing this. They were experiencing the threat of being arrested. They were experiencing the threat of being potentially killed. We see that same type of persecution against his church today. Not so much where we live, where I'm afraid today that I might be thrown in prison, but we have brothers and sisters who are. One of our dear pastor friends this last week, sentenced to nine years in China, in the city of Chengdu, made the Times story. We know him. We've worshiped in his church. Students of this church have been to that church. It really happens. Nine years in Chinese prison because he stood up for the word of God. This is still happening. And so we're taught here that because of who we have as our high priest, we are to approach his throne. The word tells us to do so with confidence. But where is our confidence? This is a huge gap that exists in many Christians' life. Their confidence still exists in their own self-righteousness, their own sense of when I get my life together, when I stop struggling so much with that thought or that action, when I really clean myself up, then I can approach the throne. Dear friends, that is a massive gap in your life, and it's not the gospel. The gospel is that the gap was closed by Jesus Christ. The gospel is that all who trust in Christ Jesus have the spirit of the living God living inside them. The truth of the gospel is that we're not called to clean ourselves up and then approach the throne with confidence and boldly, but we're to approach the throne with confidence and boldly because of who we already are in Christ. We can approach the throne of grace confidently because one, there's an invitation. And the invitation is from God himself. Two, there is an identity. And the identity is for those who are in Christ, you can approach the throne of grace because of who you are in him. Maybe the best picture of that is talking about what you're to wear as you come towards that throne. Most churches don't list on their website or on signs as people are coming, this is what you should wear. But most churches have formally or informally a dress code. And there's some churches where every man's gonna wear a suit and tie and many of the ladies may wear hats, certainly dresses. There on the opposite extreme of that are churches where there will be no ties and there will be jeans. There won't be a robe, but there'll be a nice fitting shirt. I'm not making a statement about what people should wear to church, but I will tell you this, there is a dress code, and the dress code is the same for every church. The dress code is not the apparel that we put on. 
It is the apparel of Christ being put on us. The only way we can ever approach the throne of grace is not by buying our best duds and then suddenly coming before Christ. It is by knowing that only in Christ, clothed in the high priest's righteousness, covered in his blood, can we approach the throne that we've been been invited to approach. If you are in Christ, you're already dressed. If you're in Christ, your nakedness and shame of your sin is already covered. If you're in Christ, you can approach the throne confidently and boldly because of what you look like in him. Because he is in you. We're to approach the throne of grace with confidence in order to receive something. And what is it we're to receive? Look back with me at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive. So as we approach the throne with confidence, as we respond to that invitation to come, we go anticipating what we will receive. And what is it we'll receive? Mercy. And we'll find grace to help in time of need. Mercy from our sympathetic high priest. Mercy, receiving from him compassion and forgiveness. Mercy is receiving kindness and goodness, forgiveness and compassion for someone whom it is within their power to punish or harm. God's just. His wrath is part of his attributes. That wrath had to be satisfied, and it was, on our great high priest. And because Jesus took the wrath of his father, because he took it as the perfect, unblemished righteousness, our savior, we receive mercy. The God who has the right to punish, to harm, shows us compassion and grace and mercy. Grace, it says, we also receive, and that's receiving what you don't deserve and not receiving what you do. Every day, God's mercy is made new. Every day of your life this side of heaven, if you listen to the Holy Spirit and you give enough attention to your life, you're going to see the gaps. You're going to see the gaps in your life, your friends' lives, your family's lives, your pastor's life, the church together's life, the world we live in. And every day, our high priest is telling us, Approach my throne. Approach my throne, the mercy street, where grace is given. He doesn't say, clean yourself up first. He doesn't say, check off a lot of boxes that your spiritual coach might be telling you to do, and then you'll be good enough. He tells you, 
you need a priest. I am your priest. I have closed the gap. Last thing. The greatest gap in our lives is when we reject that truth. The truth of who we already are in Jesus. Union with Christ. And try to close the gap ourselves. Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, that gap has been closed. And the reality is, from this day forward, until he calls you home or returns, the one who started that in your life is going to continue that work. What's amazing is that you think you see all the gaps. We don't. But he does. And that's why he died. He sees everyone. And still shows mercy and compassion. Today, if you are not in Christ, then none of what I have promised from his word is as of now for you. I praise God that you're here. And I hope today that you will think deeply on what it means to be in Christ. For the world, whether people are Christians or not, can't deny that the gaps exist. They exist everywhere. But that's why God appointed his son, gave him perfect sympathy, and gave him perfect obedience that he, that sacrificial lamb, that great high priest would close the gap. Maybe today is the day that that will happen for you. As I close in prayer, if you desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, approach him now in prayer, asking Christ to save you from your sins. Pray to him, simply talking to him. Ask him to save you from your sins and surrender your life to him in Christ. If you pray that prayer as I close us, please tell someone around you or me or Paul. We would love to begin to share with you what it means to live in the new reality of who you are in Christ. Friends, if today you know that you are already in Christ, as we sing this closing hymn, may your heart swell, knowing that it's only by his grace that he shed this light on you, that you might live forever. Father in heaven, with the glory of God before us, your glory, with the promise of what your scriptures have told us, we come boldly approaching your throne. We come in the confidence of who we already are in Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would bring many to yourself today, even in this sanctuary, even now. Hear their prayers, Lord, save the people. We ask that as we sing this familiar hymn that speaks of what I've just been preaching, that you would use these words to soak deeply the truth in our lives, 
closing the gap that exists between our heads and our hearts and our hands and our feet, making us different even as we leave this place, reminded of who we are, covered by our great high priest, Jesus, in whose name we pray. And all of God's people said,